Thank you, Brett and Barb. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we come this day. We thank you that you indeed have sent your precious son to be Emmanuel, God with us. And so would your Holy Spirit move again among us? Would you soften our hearts? Would you open our ears to hear your word? May we be attentive today to what you would do. And all God's people said, amen. Good morning. My name is Suzanne Vogel, and I'm the lead pastor of The Bridge. And I would invite you this morning to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're going to just read two verses this morning, verses 10 and 11. You will recall this is the story where the shepherds are out on the hillside, and the angel appears to them and said, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is Christ the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So three months ago, when we decided that we were going to use the angelic announcement of Luke 10, to Luke 2.10 in Advent to prepare us for Christmas, it seemed like a great idea. Who does not need an invitation to not be afraid or want to hear the reminder of good news? But when we drew all of this up on the calendar, we didn't have a plan to break the bad news last Sunday. And by Monday, nothing in me wanted to talk about great joy today. Now, for those of you who are visitors with us, or maybe you don't worship with us regularly, it's been a difficult week. Okay, let's be honest, it's been a difficult year. Or maybe it would even be more honest to say a difficult season. This congregation has survived a flood, a pandemic. We've said goodbye to our original beloved campus, unifying two worshiping bodies into one, which has come with all of the ups and downs that you would expect from merging two households under one roof. Our denomination is in the middle of a split because we disagree on how to read the Bible around human sexuality, on we disagree on how to spend money and how to make decisions. And so instead of taking a season to heal, we needed to embark on a season of discernment around how our congregation would engage with human sexuality. We've lived a country song. And there have been signs of God's faithfulness in our midst. A massive renovation stopped just weeks before we would have been in over our heads financially. The sale of our original campus was to a neighborhood partner and 
another church that's doing beautiful ministry. There are signs of new life at events like Trunk or Treat or Tuesday nights where we partner with iCoach or student ministry retreats. Yes, there have been moments of life and laughter, but also lots of loss. This fall, our leaders recognized that because of those losses, we would have to adjust our staffing. And that would be one thing if we were a corporation, but we're not. We are family, and losing family is so painful. So after making last week's announcement about those losses, I think it's an understatement to say that great joy felt distant and disingenuous. Great sadness? Sure. Great anger? Absolutely. Great weariness? Without a doubt. But not great joy. And I don't think I'm the only one. Some of you are still reeling from last week's announcement and braced for this week's. Some of you can't even worry about church stuff because your marriage is a wreck or someone you love is sick or debt feels like it might bury you alive and joy feels distant and disingenuous. And it's easy to imagine that if God were good and if we were good, then life would be easy. The Christmas season would be full of healthy families who never fight and Christmas gifts that are always on sale and Christmas parties where we dazzle people with our wit and our charm. Our church would be overflowing with money and people instead of wrestling with sorrow. We imagine life would be like the Hallmark movies we love to escape into. But then it hit me. The actual story of God coming to earth was no Hallmark movie. It was not easy or fun for any of the people involved. It was a difficult week, a painful week. It was probably a difficult season. And maybe this morning, if we can have the courage to name that and remember that, it maybe could help us in our difficult week and our difficult season. So let's start at the beginning. When the story opens, God has been silent for 400 years. No prophets or miracles, only taxation and oppression. God's people struggled to hold on to faith and quietly wondered if God had forgotten them. Maybe you can identify. But then an angel comes to an old priest named Zechariah to tell him that in spite of his advanced age, he's going to be a father. But instead of having faith, Zechariah is consumed by questions and doubt. And maybe you can identify 
with that longing to believe and yet having all kinds of questions. Then there's Elizabeth, his wife, who gets the news she has never imagined. But Luke tells us she goes into seclusion for several months. Now, I don't know if she's embarrassed or self-conscious about being pregnant at her age, but I imagine she had to feel isolated and alone, unable to even talk with her husband who can't speak after his angelic encounter. Maybe you can identify with that sense of loneliness this morning. Now, Mary is better able to receive the angelic news, but the stakes for her are a lot higher. Likely a teenager, saying yes to God does not result in comfort and ease. Instead, she becomes the talk of the town, engulfed in the inevitable scandal of being pregnant before marriage in the ancient Near East. No wonder, Luke tells us, she sets out in a hurry to visit her cousin Elizabeth. But did you realize Elizabeth lives 80 miles away? That's a four-day trip across dangerous and difficult roads. Maybe you can identify with the desire to run away from the gossip and the accusations of others. And of course, Mary isn't the only one affected. Imagine how Joseph must have felt as he listened to the woman he loved trying to explain her pregnancy. He must have been consumed with anger and betrayal and shame, understandably unable to believe the story she told. And he is a good man, the scripture tells us, engulfed in a situation he did not choose and didn't deserve. And maybe you identify with that sense of betrayal this morning. And it doesn't end there. Joseph's life is turned upside down. Now, he's convinced in a dream that Mary is telling the truth, but nobody else in his circle has the same dream. So he spends the first several months of his marriage taking cold showers and dealing with the whispers behind his back and the stain on his character. His pictures of his life and his family have been irrevocably changed. Maybe you can identify with that sense of loss. Now surely this pair hoped to settle quietly into their home and welcome a child. But no, no, a census is called. And so nine months pregnant, the two head out on a 90-mile trip, five days minimum, to Bethlehem. Ladies, can you imagine riding a donkey nine months pregnant 
for several days. Can you imagine how exhausted you would be? How nervous you would be? How much your body would ache? Maybe you can identify with the exhaustion and the nerves that come from unexpected travel and too many miles. Now, when they arrive in Bethlehem, it is an extended family reunion. Aunts, cousins, uncles, twice removed, remember, all from the family of David are called to gather. And what we forget is that in that culture, hospitality would have been expected, particularly for kin. Only when Mary and Joseph arrive, there is no room in the inn. That could be overcrowding, but also very likely a snub because of her pregnancy. At minimum, nobody goes out of their way to make room for the two. And maybe you can identify with dysfunctional family dynamics and the dread of rejection as you prepare for the holidays. Now, of course, we all know they end up in a cave with donkeys and sheep. Mary gives birth to the smell of manure and the sound of donkeys. And they make a feeding trough that is sticky with saliva and hay, a bed. And it looks like nothing they had hoped for or imagined. And maybe you can relate to having your pictures changed and being stuck in a very smelly situation. And it doesn't stop there, because sometime that very night, strange men arrive with stories of angels. And maybe by now, Mary has gotten used to angels and strange things happening, but I wonder if maybe she also just wanted a quiet moment with her husband and her newborn. Maybe she didn't want company and strangers and she just wanted a moment of peace. Maybe you can identify. So what do we do with this messy, strange, difficult story that is full of disappointment and hardship and pain? This story that does not look like the Hallmark movies or even the beautiful Nativity sets, we sit on our tables. What do we do with weeks or months or even seasons full of disappointment and hardship and pain? When great joy seems distant and maybe a little disingenuous. Well, I don't have magic pills this morning that make it all better. I do want to offer a couple of simple observations from this story. First, 
Faith is easier together. Mary needed Elizabeth to encourage her. Elizabeth needed Zechariah when the time came to name their child. Mary needed Joseph, and Joseph needed Mary. And the shepherds all came together. No one was left behind. Friends, we aren't made to walk this road of faith alone. If you are struggling, talk to somebody. Ask for prayer. Share your burdens. I heard this week from a woman who's only been attending our church for maybe a year, year and a half. She did the hospitality groups this summer with a group. And this week, a longtime member of her group called her and just said, I haven't seen you in a couple weeks, and I just want you to know I miss you. And I love that you're here. And how can I pray? Friends, those are the kinds of things that Jesus calls us to in these spaces, to bear one another's burdens, to keep standing together and keep sharing the load. Faith is easier when we stand together. The second thing I'm struck by is that today is not the end of the story. Verse 10 when the angel makes the announcement, says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy. Now, it depends on which translation you read, where, where the present future tense happens. But it, the, the trajectory of the promise is the future. It does not say, the angel does not say, do not be afraid. There is good news that will always cause you joy. We live in the gap. The gap between the day when Jesus came as a baby and the day when Jesus will come again and make all things new. That is the work and the beauty of Advent. And that is the way that we stand. We remember how God broke into history on that day so long ago, and it assures us that God breaks through again. Psalm 30 says it this way, Weeping endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. I don't know about you, but as I sat in Philippians all fall, and I kept thinking about how Paul prays, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. And I have been groaning. I'm good I don't know if I need more fellowship, Jesus. Can we just have some resurrection? And the promise of the Advent story is that resurrection comes. 
We don't get to control when. We don't get to control how. But we are not alone. And then the last thing I notice is that joy and pain can coexist. If you don't receive the discipleship on the move emails that come on Saturday mornings, call the office and let us know. We'll sign you up. You shouldn't miss them. And Elder Christy Westra wrote this beautifully on yesterday's email about choosing joy. I want to quote her. I believe to choose joy means choosing faith, choosing hope, choosing to stand in our identity in Christ. It is in and through these that we find the roots of joy. It keeps us on a firm foundation where we know that there is more than just the immediate moment. Luke documented so much joy surrounding the expectation and arrival of Jesus. The angel told Zechariah that Elizabeth would bear a son who would bring joy and gladness. John the Baptist leaped for joy in Elizabeth's womb. Mary rejoiced in her Savior, and the angels proclaimed great joy at the birth of Jesus. Jesus brought light and hope to the world, which is good news, which invites us to have great joy and rejoice. And we live in a fallen world where we will feel pain and sorrow and fear. But joy can coexist with these. Joy allows us to praise and worship God in the midst of our trials because of who he is and who we are in him. As Corbett so beautifully reminded us this morning. Now this morning, if you are full of excitement and hope and joy, first of all, I'm sorry. This has been a downer. (laughs) But don't feel guilty. Don't feel embarrassed. Embrace it. Hold it. Share it. But this morning, if you are consumed with questions and doubt, feeling lonely and isolated, longing to run away, or feeling betrayed, there is a place for you in the Christmas story. If you are still processing changes that you did not make, if you are weary or stuck in a situation that just stinks. There is great joy that will come. And we're invited to keep our eyes on Jesus, who promises to never let us down and never let us go. This story is for you. This story is for us. For God is near. Let's pray. And so in the quiet of this moment, Holy Spirit, would you just come and minister 
to the places in our hearts where sorrow and loneliness and fear and anxiety dwell. God, I thank you that your word says that you do not despise our sorrow. In fact, you are a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. That the whole reason you came was, that so, was so that we would not have to walk alone. And so I pray that you would remind us again this morning of Advent hope. you would stir in us Advent faith and create in us a longing for Advent joy. We wait for you, God. And in the waiting, would you strengthen us? Would you comfort us? Would you show us how to stand and love you, love our neighbors, love our enemies? So that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.